The bulletin says that Pastor Josh is preaching on the mission of FBC Fairdale, but he is not preaching at all. He's actually laying in bed sick. So uh, I am happy to be here, uh, and we are not going to be in 1 Corinthians this morning. We're actually going to be in the book of Hebrews. So open up in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be looking at chapter 10 this morning. And before we go any further, let's, let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven, we are, we're here gathered to praise your name. God, we are excited because Sunday mornings mean not only that we get to worship you individually, but we worship you corporately. And that's a special joy that we have on Sunday mornings. And so God, as we meet here, and as we open the Bible, and as we look to the Word of God... We ask that you would be our teacher this morning. We ask that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, that you would draw us to yourself and that you would help us to see our sin as evil and that you hate it and help us to run from it. God, I pray that you would be with Pastor Josh this morning who's laid up in bed sick. God, we pray that he would get better soon and that his family would stay healthy and not catch what he has. God, we are thankful that you have brought us here this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So yesterday, Samantha and I had a birthday party for Graham. And Graham is almost two years old. And so we decided to do his party a little early because, as most of you know, my wife is also very pregnant with child number two. And uh, that child is due... Short or very close to the time that Graham's birthday will be, and so we didn't want to cut anything too close. And so we're still two weeks out, and it didn't really feel like his birthday because uh, it's still January, it's not even February yet. But yesterday morning, as we got Graham up and, and we're psyching him out, like, dude, you got a party today, you know, we're eating breakfast, giving him special treats that he doesn't normally get, uh, and trying to get him excited about the day. And one of the things that happened to me, uh, and I even talked to Sam a little bit about this, is you know. We're getting ready for his birthday party. There's little things left to do. And all I could think about was, how in the world did Graham get so big? How in the world has he grown up so much? And so one of the things I was doing in preparation for the party is, is compiling some photos to put on the, the TV to, to cycle through. And I'm looking at photos from when he was a newborn, and I, it feels like yesterday. And I'm looking at pictures from when he was a year old, and... and it feels like, man, that was just the other day that we were having his first birthday party. And it, it reminded me that kids grow up, and they mature, and as they do that, they change. Graham looks very different today than he did a couple days after he was born. He even looks very different from just six or seven months ago. He's grown up, and he's matured a lot. And these last few weeks, on Wednesday nights with our students, I've been talking about what does it look like in the life of a Christian for us to mature as a Christian? Because we all are familiar with maturity in physical things as far as uh, our looks and, and how we change over time, and that's common. And for us to see Graham growing up is normal to us, but if Graham looks the same today as he does two years from now, we're going to be alarmed, aren't we? We're going to notice that certain things aren't happening. Growth is not taking place. He's not 
going on the trajectory that he should, and we're going to be alarmed, and we're probably going to contact the doctor. And what I want us to think about this morning is I want us to think about spiritual growth in the way that we think about physical growth. Because if, if all of us in this room this morning are calling ourselves Christians, then that means there should be spiritual growth in our life. We shouldn't be exactly the same in, in the spiritual state today that we are a year from now. There should be growth. There should be maturity. There should be change over time. Good change. And so I've been talking with our students, and, and there's four things that I'm going to cover total, and we've only covered three so far. But first was if we want to grow as a Christian, we've got to be reading our Bible. It was the first thing I said. And that goes along right with what Josh preached last week about the importance of the Word of God. If we are calling ourselves Christians and we want to grow as a Christian, we've got to be reading what God has said to us. We've got to spend time in the Bible and hear God talking to us. But the second thing is that we've also got to be people who pray. If we want to grow as a Christian, we've got to be reading our Bible, hearing what God says to us. But if you also want to grow as a Christian, then you need to learn how to respond to God in prayer, to trust God in prayer. But then third, and what I talked about just this last Wednesday and what I want to talk about today, is if we want to grow as a Christian, we've got to be committed to the church. If we want to grow as a Christian, we've got to be committed to the church. I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 19 through 25 this morning. He starts by saying, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I want to talk to us about growing as a Christian, and one of the ways that that's going to happen is through commitment to the local church. Now, we picked up in the middle of an argument. Whenever you see the word therefore, you've got to ask yourself, what's it there for? I've said that over and over and over again. Every time I preach, when you see that word, don't just go on. That's an important word, okay? And so he starts verse 19 by saying therefore. And so he does a good job of summarizing the therefore in the next verse, okay? But what's happening is all the book of Hebrews is explaining to us why Jesus is better than blank, you name it. Why Jesus is better than the angels. Why Jesus is better than the old sacrificial system. Why Jesus is better than everything that you know. And he talks about uh, how Jesus is a superior sacrifice. And there were sacrifices offered 
time after time after time that could never actually take away your sin. But when Jesus offered himself on the cross, that is the ultimate, true, perfect sacrifice. And so he's making this huge, long argument. Uh, this is uh, kind of, he's coming to the end of that argument, and now he's, he's going into some practical things. But look at how he summarizes it. Therefore, brothers, since, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, and now look forward to verse uh, 21, he says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. So here he names two reasons why we should act. He says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So the first thing that I want us to uh, fully come to terms with this morning is that because of the blood of Jesus, you and me, this morning, right now, we have access to God who lives in holy places. He dwells in the holy places. And so what he's saying here is we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And then he says by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh. So think about a curtain being closed between us and God. Jesus opens the curtain through his death. He says it's a new and living way, meaning this was not always available. This was not always out there. Okay, Jesus has made this way through his death. So by Jesus dying on the cross, he has opened the curtain. Access to God is now available. That doesn't mean you automatically have it. It means it's available. And now he says, verse 21, And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So the purpose of a priest in the Old Testament system was to be the person who would intercede for us. Or they would go to God on our behalf. We as sinful people don't have the right to be in the presence of a holy God. And so they had the system God put in place where a priest would offer sacrifices to uh, make himself clean, make himself right. And then he, in your place, would go to God. He says, now we have a great high priest. And that's Jesus. Okay, so now not only do we have confidence that we have access to God through the blood of Jesus, he says, we also have a great priest whose name is Jesus who is interceding for us. So we still do not, uh, we're not in a place where we can have access to God alone. We're still sinful. But yet Jesus is the high priest who is now interceding for us. Now we all know that if you're going to be moved to act on anything, it's because there's a certain truth that has moved you to act. Right? If, if you are going to um, perhaps buy tickets to the Super Bowl, it's probably because your team has made it to the Super Bowl. There is always an act, a, a belief behind our actions, okay? So now what he's about to say is, let us, three times. He's going to use the, the two words, let us. And what he's doing is he's calling us to action. And all of that is based on verses 19, 20, and 21. 
So here's the recap. He's reminding us we have confidence to enter into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. And he says also, we have a great priest who's interceding for us. So church, I want you to be reminded this morning, you and I, although we are sinful, we have Jesus who's advocating for us to God. He spilled his blood so that us sinful people can have access to a holy God. So now in verses 22 through 25, what I see is a, is a progression. And I, and I would best describe this as concentric circles. And so if you don't know what a concentric circle is, basically it means multiple circles that fit inside of each other. And they keep getting smaller or they can keep getting bigger. That's what a concentric circle is. And so the first one in verse 22, I would say is the biggest circle. So verse 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the first let us. Let us draw near to God. This is the first let us statement, the first call to action. And so for all of us, if we're calling ourselves Christians this morning, we are being called and encouraged by the author of Hebrews to draw near to God. Not just because that's a good idea, but because Jesus gives us confidence to do so. Because Jesus is advocating for us to do so. And so... As we all walk through the Christian life, I hope that we have times where we think hard about what does it mean for me to grow in my, in my, Christ, my walk with Christ? What does it mean for me to mature as a believer? The first thing that the author of Hebrews would tell us is we need to be drawing near to God. To draw near means it's this idea of we're constantly getting closer. We are constantly getting closer to our due date when we will have a second child. There's no way to go away from that. As time ticks on, we are only drawing near to the due date. And there will come a time where we now have a baby girl. And so you, you understand this idea of drawing near means that we're moving towards something and not going away. And so for the author of Hebrews to tell us to draw near to God is he saying we should be each and every day getting closer and closer to God. There should be a steady progression in our spiritual walk where we're closer to God today than we were yesterday. And we'll be closer to God tomorrow than we were today. This is the idea of drawing near. So this is very big picture. I think all of us understand, if we've been around church for any amount of time, that for us to grow in our walk with God means we get closer to God. It means we, we know Him better. When I was dating Samantha, I was very interested in her. I wanted to know more about her. I wanted to, for lack of a better term, draw near to her. I know we would never say that, 
But that's what's happening. I'm getting to know more about her. And even getting to know more is wanting me to know even more. And you all have experienced this in various relationships. That is what God is desiring when we believe on Jesus for forgiveness of sins. God wants us to know him and to want to know him. And guess what? He's given us this so that we can know him. God is not a mystery. There are certain things about him which we don't have the answers to in Scripture, but God has given us everything he wants us to know, and we have every ability to draw near to him. So this is very big picture, but because of the confidence that we have to enter the heavenly places and because of the great high priest that we have in Jesus, he says, let's draw near to God. And now he, he adds a few things to this. He says, let's draw near to God with a true heart. A true heart. It has got to be your heart's desire to draw near to God, to know God, to love God. We've probably met people, we probably know people, we can probably think of people right now that at one point, man, they were at church, they were on fire, they seemed to be growing like crazy, and now they want nothing to do with church. Unfortunately, we know people like that. And the reality is that more than likely, they were in church, participating, and it looked as if they were drawing near to God, but it wasn't from a true heart. Their heart truly wanted other things. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. God wants us to draw near to him, not only with a true heart, but with absolute confidence in what he has promised us. God has promised us that he will forgive all of our sins and that he will make all things right. He wants us to draw near to him with absolute confidence in what he has said is true. Because it is. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The author of Hebrews is, is giving us imagery of the old system, the old way of purification. There was sprinkling of blood with, with the sacrifices, all in, a, in an effort to show that you've been made clean. And the author is simply saying, when Jesus spills his blood on the cross for you and for me, and we believe on Jesus, our heart is sprinkled clean and our body is washed with pure water. This is the reality of us as believers. If you're believing in Jesus this morning, your heart has been sprinkled clean, and your body has been washed. And God wants you to draw near to Him. Verse 23, the next circle, getting a little bit tighter, getting a little more personal, he says... Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
So the big circle is let's draw near to God with a true heart. We're trusting in Jesus. And and then in in the second circle, we're holding fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. So what's the confession of our hope? The confession of our hope is simply that Jesus died for my sins. I am a sinful person. I cannot be right with God on my own. And so Jesus stands in my place and willingly takes the wrath of God for me. And for us to hold fast to the, to the confession of our hope means that we are clinging with every bit of strength that we have to Jesus forgives me of my sins. Jesus will forgive me of my sins. And so for all of us, as we walk through life, life is all about clinging to Jesus. If you want to make it to the end of your life as a strong believer, you've got to, each and every day, cling to Jesus. You've got to be reminding yourself of Jesus, that you can't do it on your own. You need Jesus. So the big circle is that we are going to draw near to God, and and the, the smaller circle, which helps us draw near to God, is holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering. I used uh, an, an image or for, for our youth to try and help them understand this. Have you all ever watched the Kentucky Derby? You probably have. Uh, it happens here every year. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, but in the Kentucky Derby, usually you will see some horses that have blinders on. And a blinder is simply this thing that goes on each side of the eye, and it blocks out your peripheral vision. So for the horse... That is meant to uh, keep them from noticing all the other horses to their left and to their right and to keep their eyes down the track because that's where they need to go. And so for us, as Christians, our eyes need to be focused on Jesus down the track because that is where we need to go. And what happens is in life, there's all, all, all kinds of things that are pulling for our attention. They want our, our, uh, our time and our abilities and our money. And so all kinds of things are pulling for us. The blinders help us keep our eyes on Jesus. So when he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, this means we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on the one who is faithful, which he says here. Because he who promised is faithful. Jesus has promised to make all things right, and he is faithful to carry that out. It will happen. All right, so, so big picture is that we as Christians need to be drawing near to God. Next, the smaller circle is how, how is that going to happen? It's going to happen by us keeping our confidence in our hope that is Jesus. It means we stay focused on him at all times. Verse 24 is the third let us statement. He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So the big, big circle is draw near to God. The next inner circle is keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And then the next inner circle is let's consider how to stir one another up. 
to love and good works. You see how it's getting very personal? Big picture, you know, we, we can talk all day about, well, what does it mean to draw near to God? And, and well, that might look different for different people. But yet, it gets a little more personal when we start saying, well, the only way that we're all truly going to draw near to God is we have got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Because if our eyes get focused on anything else, then we're going to be slowly getting off the track of drawing near to God. But now, it's getting even more personal. He says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And now he says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So why did I say, why did I say at the beginning that what I want to talk to you all about is the importance of commitment to church? Because it seems to be important to the author of Hebrews when talking to Christians about how to grow as Christians. See, in verse 24, he talks about the importance of us stirring one another up to love and to good works. Here's the reality. God has created all of us as social people. Some people are more social than others, but... Studies have been done on prisoners who are in seclusion, and it just usually doesn't go well. And people have tried to lobby against, uh, you know, putting people in a box or in prison, whatever the term is for that. Uh, But they've said this is really bad for people psychologically. They go crazy when they can't interact with other people. And I believe God has made us that way because we need other people in our life to help us in drawing near to God. I believe that's one of the the purposes of the church here. I want you to look around to to the people that you're sitting around. Just look kind of to the left, to the right. Notice the people in front of you, maybe behind you a little bit. Have you ever thought, I need these people? If I'm going to continue looking to Jesus... And drawing near to God, becoming a more mature believer, I need these people who are sitting around me. Have you ever thought that? I've heard people say before, and not a a ton, but I've heard it. Man, I don't don't really need church. You know, I can can watch the, the service on TV. There's a lot of churches that broadcast on TV. And so, you know, I can, I can hear the preaching and, you know, I can pray whenever, wherever I am by myself and I can open the Bible and I can read wherever. And well, all that is true. But if you cut yourself off from community with other believers, it's not going to go well. It's not going to end well. Because I know that me personally... If I'm not being encouraged to read my Bible by you all, if I'm not being encouraged to pray by you all, sometimes my tenacity for reading the Bible starts to fade. Sometimes the amount of time that I spend in prayer starts to dwindle. 
And it's brought back up when I'm around you all. When I hear you all telling me about how, how you've been reading the Bible and you saw this or you saw that or you're encouraging me that you've been praying for me and my wife and our kids. Church, what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that we need each other. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Church, it's important that we prioritize being with each other, spending time with each other, encouraging one another, stirring one another up to love Jesus and to do good works. Because here's what happens. If we stop coming to church... If we neglect meeting with each other, so whether that's Bible studies throughout the week, whether it's church on Sunday morning, whether it's Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever it is, if we neglect being there, the first thing that happens is we're not being stirred up by other people to love God and to do good works. So if you think it's fine to stay at home, you don't really need to be at church, you know, you haven't been in a few weeks, but guess what? One more week won't hurt. The first thing that's happening is no one is stirring you up to love and good works. So what happens as a result of that? When no one is stirring you up to love and good works, your focus on Jesus and those blinders that are keeping your eyes ahead on Jesus start to fade. They start to lose their effectiveness, you start to notice all these other distractions. And before you know it, you're no longer on the path of drawing near to God. You're on the path of whatever else it is. Perhaps it's growing in your career. Perhaps it's making more money. Perhaps it's being a better uh, friend. But what happens is if we neglect to meet together, it affects are uh, holding fast to the confidence of our hope. And that affects us drawing near to God. But what also happens, when we neglect to regularly be a part of the church, we are not encouraging other people to love and good works. We are then not stirring up other people. So now, not only are you affecting yourself by not being stirred up and encouraged and, and encouraged to do good works, you are no longer doing that for someone else. So do you see the importance of the church? Do you see the importance of each other? Church, if we want to be a group of believers who are growing in spiritual maturity. We're growing up in the faith. We have to be people who are drawing near to God. And if we're going to be people who draw near to God, it means we have to be people whose, whose focus is fixed on Jesus. And if we want to be people whose focus is fixed on Jesus, we've got to be people who are constantly being encouraged by one another. Now, a couple practical thoughts on commitment to the church. When, you know, when, I, when I think about commitment to the church, the first thing that comes to mind is just regular attendance. And that is important. 
We want you all to be here on a Sunday morning. If, if you're able to be here, we would love for you all to be here on a Sunday night. Uh, we are uh, always wanting people to be involved on Wednesday night when we focus specifically on prayer. And if you're able to come through the, to the Bible studies throughout the week, we would love for you to be there. But here's the reality. Church attendance does not equal commitment to the church. It's a visual way that we might start to think, man, that person is really committed to church. Every time we got something going on, they're there, they're serving, they're working hard, they're putting in effort. Man, they are committed to the church. But that might not be the case. Because the church is not this building that we're in. The church is us. The church is you and me and and all the shut-ins that are on our list that aren't able to be here, and, and all the people that normally might be here but aren't here right now, that's the church. So a commitment to church extends far beyond Sunday mornings. A commitment to church is a commitment to the people of the church. And I want you to think right now, am I committed to other people in the church? Am I pouring my life into other people in the church? Am I giving my time to other people in the church? Am I helping out other people in the church? Am I encouraging other people in the church? Am I helping them love Jesus more? But on the flip side, is anyone else in the church doing those things for me? It is absolutely possible for us to sit in these pews every Sunday morning and not truly be committed to the church or not truly be encouraged by the church or not truly be stirred up to love and good works. Church, if we're going to grow as Christians, it's going to start by us committing ourselves to one another. That we understand that all of us need to be looking to Jesus. And if we're not encouraging one another to do so, then we're naturally going to start to look other ways. Our church is, seems to be healthy. We, we've had the last couple months, we've had numerous people come forward saying they want to they want to be saved. They want to believe on Jesus. We've had some baptisms, people who are wanting to uh, follow Jesus in baptism. And all of those things point us to the fact that, man, God is really working in this church. But we also need to be reminded that we need those people to encourage us and to build us up and to continue to point us to Jesus as much as we need to be doing that for them. Church, when you see people come forward and profess faith in Jesus, what they need is you to befriend them and encourage them. They need you to point them to the Bible where they will meet with God. They need you to teach them how to pray and how to uh, trust in the promises of God. This is the reason why a church is made up of baby Christians and mature Christians. But what I want us to see most importantly this morning is that we need one another. If our church is going to continue to be healthy and grow, 
And we're going to continue to, to see people come to faith in Jesus and trust in him. It's going to happen because our people are committed to one another and we understand that us growing up in the faith is dependent on one another. I'm thankful for our church. In 2013, when my wife and I came here with with no kids, we felt welcomed and loved right away. And as we've had a son, and now as we're about to have another, another baby, a little girl, I feel like this church has embraced us so well. And I am thankful for a lot of friendships that I have in this church because many of you have on a regular basis, maybe without you even realizing it, you have encouraged me. You have built me up. You have encouraged me to love others and to love God. And you've encouraged me to do good works that further the kingdom of God. And all of that has happened because I have a relationship with you. I've never truly been encouraged by someone who's just a complete stranger who just says something nice. It means something when it comes from someone that you know you are going through life with, they know you, you know them, you've dealt with things together, and when that person speaks truth into your life or points you to God, it means the world. And church, that's what we need to be. God has saved us through his son Jesus, not just so that we'll go to heaven one day, but so that we will be a people who love God and draw near to him, and all the while we understand that we are to help others do the same. That's our goal. That's our focus as a church, is to point each other to God. All the while remembering that we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Y'all, your friendships, to me, pointing me to God means nothing apart from Jesus. Jesus is the glue that holds all of these relationships together. And we can never forget that. Pray with me. God, we are thankful for this morning and for this word from the book of Hebrews. God, commitment to church is is a big deal because we need each other to be encouraging one another to draw near to you and to keep our focus on Jesus. God, I pray that this morning, if any of us are not confident in the blood of Jesus that gives us access to God, that we wouldn't be okay with that, but we would ask questions about that. And God, I also pray that you would help our church to understand the importance of relationships with one another. Relationships, not just that we watch sports together or or read books together, but that we point each other to Jesus. And God, I pray that all of our relationships would be centered on that. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.